Hey men, welcome to the Faith Bridge Men Podcast. I'm your host, Mace Perez. Faith Bridge Men exists to transform men's lives through the power of the gospel, to develop a band of brothers, and to inspire, encourage, and equip men to live lives of eternal significance. We know that real men like you are wrestling with real questions that have profound implications for your lives. So we want to tackle those questions head on this summer in our Summer FAQs podcast series. And today is a, a question that many men have to, to wrestle with. We're talking about faith and work. How should our faith influence our work? We know that this is a, an important question because men spend more waking hours at work than probably anywhere else. And so that's why I'm excited to tackle this question today. And to help me is uh, now the second returning uh, podcast interviewee on the Faith Bridge Men podcast, Executive Pastor of Ministries at Faith Bridge, Wayne Risher. So Wayne, thank you for being oh, here today. Thank you, Mace. So many of you are probably familiar with Wayne. He's He's been at Faith Bridge a long time. He's been on staff a long time in a pretty prominent role. Um, but what you may not know, and the reason why I wanted to invite Wayne on today is that he spent the bulk of his work career in the marketplace um, before coming on staff at FaithBridge. So Wayne, again, many of you, many FaithBridgers know you, at least familiar with you at a high level, but tell us a little bit more about what they they may not know. So we're, today we're talking about faith and work. So give us the highlights of your Jesus story, your faith story, and then tell us a little bit more about your work history. Okay. Well, for those of you who do not know me, um, I did grow up in a Christian home, and it was in my fifth or sixth grade Sunday school class. I bowed my head and said a little prayer with my Sunday school teacher. He was a veteran with a big tattoo on his arm named Ward Wusky. And at that table, I invited Jesus into my heart, and uh, my high school years were spent volunteering and uh, serving in the church. I loved it. But you know, Mace, there's a few uh, pivotal, mo- pivotal moments in everyone's life, a few crossroads you go through, and I kind of felt coming through high school that God may be calling me to do something vocationally for the church. And so I considered going to Cincinnati Bible College, and in the end, I chose a business direction and went to the University of Cincinnati instead. And while I was there, um, I engaged in God a little less than I did when I was in high school. And in fact, I probably, like many, maybe even ran the other way a little bit and uh, decided to figure out what the world had to offer versus what God had to offer. And so that was my pivotal pivotal moment number one, was choosing which school to go to to pursue secular education and work or biblical education and work. And I think the second pivotal moment happened after college. Um, I was working for a man who was the CEO and president of the company. He was a pastor and uh, was also a, a, a Sunday school teacher up at Champion Forest Baptist Church. Super influential in my life, helping me build my faith and really understanding how to follow God, uh, put teaching into practice. He had an amazing impact in my life and really discipled me in a way I've never been before. And it was under that season of my life that Tim and I married and we've had four children. And so as that kind of came to an end, we attended another church in the area, and uh, I left there to plant a church, which I did for seven years. And in that season, I really learned how to study the Bible, even teach Sunday school, and I served there as an elder, and that's probably where I learned leadership. 
Well, uh, with four kids who were growing older, uh, after seven years at the church plant, we left there to come to a new startup, kind of like we had been doing, but the new church was at Kleb Intermediate School, and it was called Faithbridge. <laughs> and that's where our story sort of joined. We came here as undercover agents when our kids were in vacation Bible school age, and uh, we loved it so much we never left. We wanted mm. to check it out as Bible school folks, VBS folks, and, uh, and it was great, and we never left. And so that's been nearly 20 years ago. I loved Faithbridge. I served everywhere. I uh, had fun with my kids, really enjoyed um, engaging in the life of the church. And at that time, I had just left Chevron and was starting my own financial services business. And Mace, what I did uh, was commercial and uh, personal lines insurance, life insurance, health insurance, uh, investing in retirement, those kind of things. I did that with my partner for 25 years, and we had great success. We, we actually had one of the larger agencies in Harris County because we bought and sold through merger and acquisition several smaller agencies. And because I was the owner, I had great freedom and, uh, freedom and flexibility to travel on mission trips with Pastor Dan. And uh, I joined him on International Leadership Institute trainings and other mission trips I led for families and adults. So that was sort of my entree into deeper walking with church work, right, um, as a lay leader. And then I sold my company about a decade ago, and I was having lunch with Dan Slagle, kind of debriefing a mission trip that we had been on together. And I told him, hey, before I go back downtown and start working with one of our equity partners, you know, I've kind of had a financial reset in the middle of my life here. And if there would be a place for me at Faithbridge, like now would be a great time. And Dan said, I'm thinking of you right now. I said, you are, yeah. He said, I am. And uh, that was the rest uh, history. Now I've been working with Faithbridge for, I'm going on my 10th year. Um, I've worked in adult ministry. I've been the campus pastor, the family life pastor, and now the executive pastor of ministry. And along the way, uh, one of the best hires I ever made was actually recruiting you, Mace, from uh, the teaching world for you to come on staff and join us here at Faith Bridge. And look, now you're going to be a church planter, and we're so proud to send you out. And that kind of brings everyone uh, up to date. Uh, that's the present. First 25 years of my career as a business person engaged in the Christian life, and the last 10 years actually serving the church on staff. Yeah. Well, um, before we get into... Um, the the meat of our topic, just a, a couple things. Yeah, I mean, uh, I didn't know you were going to go there, but I owe my you know tenure on staff uh, to you, Wayne, and just uh, you're someone who's always been an encourager and a supporter of me and my ministry, and I'll be forever thankful of that. And I guess that leads into the second comment that just came to my mind. You know, going back to your faith story, but including some of the work stuff. Certainly, the transition here is. A lot of those pivotal moments you talked about included pivotal people. That's right. You had a name huh. that you were able to place with almost every single one of those. And so while it's not the main point of our episode today, it just is a reminder that um, you know one of our core values or, or the vision that we want to see in Faith Bridge Men is helping men live lives of eternal significance. And that often comes through other men. And mm. so as we are learning to do that, uh, just an encouragement to all the men listening to to look out for others that God is placing in their lives, that they can be 
a positive spiritual influence and maybe be a pivotal person helping some pivotal moments in some other people's lives. You know, Mace, you're touching on something that's a truism in my life, and I'll tell you, many men have it too, but we forget the significance of one-up, one-down leadership. Right. There needs to be somebody I'm following who's ahead of me, and there needs to be someone below me that I'm leading. Um, could be a parent, and then my child below me. It could be in a professional sense, a mentoring sense, a spiritual sense, a professional sense. But one-up, one-down leadership is super important. And if you miss that, you're missing an opportunity to either be developed or develop somebody right. else. Yeah. That sounds like a future podcast episode to me. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. Um, so the main topic for today is faith and work. How should our faith influence our work? And so you know, as I, I think about this topic, men are often known for compartmentalizing our lives, right? Um, which would include keeping faith and work separate, or to divide the sacred from the secular. But in reality, our faith is supposed to influence our entire lives, including our work lives. Mm -hmm. And so I imagine that many men think the only way to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus and to integrate faith and work is to go into full-time vocational ministry. We think, okay, uh, if I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm, I'm you know, living all in for Jesus. Well, I, I guess that means I got to work at a church, right? Well, maybe, but maybe not. And for most men, it's probably not. And so um, do you, when you think about that that way of compartmentalizing faith and work and, and the idea that the only way someone, a man, can be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ and have their faith influence their work would be to go work at a church or a parachurch ministry, when you think about that, do you think that that way of thinking is correct, or and then uh, if so, why, or if not, why not? Hmm. Well, Mesa, this is a good question uh, and a challenging one for the very reason you mentioned in asking the question. For most people, I think some level of compartmentalization is natural, right? You've got to put your laptop away so you can have dinner with your kids at home. But that's not really what I think you're talking about here, right? You're, you're talking about living life um, in, in separate file folders is the way I think of compartmentalization. I think the reason that faith and work often become compartmentalized um, is because they're incongruent. That is to say, often the reason why people compartmentalize is something they're experiencing in one place is not matching what they do or who they are in another. Mm -hmm. And either a man is exposed to different standards or he himself is like responding to a different way uh, in a different area. Therefore, we get stuck living as men in sort of a multifaceted way. And truthfully, Mace, it's just exhausting. Um, any man who's listening to our voices here knows that putting on your business face and having a different face at home or church is just exhausting. And worse is when your face doesn't match the face you have at home. And uh, you put on your church face and your home face are incongruent, and then your kids see you as a hypocrite. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a bummer because it's hard to have respect and lead people when you're not worthy of it, right? So it doesn't have to be that way. It's far less exhausting, I think, and more honoring to God for a man to live authentically. And what I mean by that is your faith and your life and your business need to be consistent. I don't think you can have it both ways. Either the, the man will compartmentalize and react to circumstances in life's different areas, 
or the man will do his best with the Holy Spirit to live authentically and be consistent in all the areas, right? Mm -hmm. So the Scripture does say that they will know we are Christians by our love. So living authentically as a Christian does not require a full-time vocational ministry. In fact, I see the role as a church staff, we're really the ministry administrators, right? I think we're here to serve and equip, uh, encourage, and develop regular people to actually make the greatest impact for the kingdom. Because mostly, um, we want to help people be aware that they are the kingdom, and they are the primary difference makers. Like the church staff... We're only a few in number, but God's people who make more and stronger disciple and others are many in number, right? So I think that regular people, even volunteers like I was for many years, and, and you were, Mace, for many years, uh, and both of us, we still do uh, volunteering and serving in different areas. I think they actually make more people, uh, make more of an impact uh, in living a faithful life across all three lines, faith, business, and ministry, um, with because... As a staffer, like, I don't have access to everybody's circles. And if a man is called to make an impact, and I believe we are, then the best way that happens is through you. Not bringing a pastor into your circle, but you living your life in a way that others can see the love of Christ in you and the way you love and serve others. Because bringing a pastor inside your circle, there's only so many of us. But there's many of you. And so our job is to equip the many to go and do the much, Right, I think is the way I'm trying to say. Yeah, it makes me think of the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, you know, that Christ gave the church prophets and apostles and evangelists and shepherds and teachers for what purpose? To equip the saints, hmm. the church members, the everyday men for the work of ministry. And so our job as church staff is to equip the men and women of Faith Bridge to be disciples who make more and stronger disciples who make more and stronger disciples. It, me, it also made me think of my own personal story, as as you've alluded to. You know, working at a church is uh, a second career for me. Uh, prior to that, spent six years in in public education, and during that time was when I I became a fully devoted follower of Jesus. I had already been a Christian, but I. I went all in, you know, while I was still teaching. and As a I, server, yeah, as a volunteer. Well, just all in in terms of... Faith. Uh, surrendering fully okay. to Jesus, mm -hmm. right? And saying that I do want... I don't want my faith to be compartmentalized. I want my faith to influence every aspect of my life. I mm -hmm. want every aspect of my life to be about Jesus, to be about glorifying God. And I, for a, a period of time, actually resisted changing careers and to go into full ministry full-time for two reasons. One is probably more pride than anything. I kind of wanted to to prove a point that you can be a fully devoted follower and stay in the quote-unquote secular workplace. Mm -hmm. But also part of it was because it was a mission field for me, hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, when you were talking to me about coming on staff at FaithBridge, one of uh, the things that the Lord brought to my mind was something I heard David Platt say one time. You know, David Platt, if you've ever heard his teaching, he talks a lot about taking the gospel to the nations and how we need to take the gospel to unreached people groups. And at the time, he was a pastor in Birmingham, Alabama, right? I remember that. Yeah. Not, not necessarily uh, a place known for 
a lot of unreached people groups, right? Certainly lost people there, right? And I remember him saying one time that the only reason why he was pastoring a church in Birmingham, Alabama, the only reason why he agreed to do it is if he believed that he could have a greater impact for the nations by staying through raising up and sending out a hmm. multitude of missionaries. Mm -hmm. And I had a, I kind of adapted that way of thinking and I said, okay, I will leave public education and move into church ministry if by working on staff at a church, I can raise up a multitude of men and women mm -hmm. who will make more and stronger disciples, who make more and stronger disciples in their workplace. And so, um, as you said, you know, my job is an equipper. And so um, it, it's the, the men who are um, at the schools, in the offices, um, in the quote unquote secular workplaces that are interacting with far more lost people on a daily basis than you or I are as well. Yeah, not being on staff is not an excuse for saying my mission field doesn't matter or I'm overwhelmed that there's so many lost folks around me and I, I can't have impact here. Well, we're only called to do really two things, and that's to love God and love others. Right. And so how you love others, this side of heaven, <laughs> that is a work of God. Right. And so uh, we have an opportunity to do something, and it may not be significant. You're not preaching. You're not teaching. Maybe you're just putting your arm around somebody and helping them along. Um, then they ask, well, what is your motive in helping me? Motive is that God loves me, and I love you. Yeah. So uh, we've been referencing or alluding to you know several different scripture passages. You've referenced John 13 about how um, the world will know that we are disciples by our love. We just talked about Ephesians 4. You're talking about the, the so-called great commandment to love God and love others. So take me back to um, pre-Faith Bridge employee Wayne, you know, when you're working at Chevron or in the financial services business um, and trying to wrestle through this for yourself. You know, we know that our main guide for and our ultimate guide, our final guide for faith and, and practice is the scripture. So... Um, were there any or are there any particular scriptures that you find yourself frequently coming back to or, or frequently did come back to in terms of what it looked like to authentically live your Christian faith in the workplace? Well, if you're asking for a biblical answer, right? Yeah, I, I think I could probably answer in a way or two. Something you said a few minutes ago jogged my memory you were talking about how God equips us with all these different gifts and abilities, uh, for sure. I think in terms of people having different talents, abilities, personal wirings, you know, in the same way, the disciples that followed Jesus were working people, right, with different jobs. He didn't call the professional priests or rabbis from synagogues, which from uh, artifacts and, and, and remnants and different evidences there were more than 50 in Jesus' day around him. So certainly there were, you know, effective church leaders he could have tapped on the shoulder, uh, different rabbis or priests, but he, he called regular people to follow him. So the people were like you and like me and working people in the church, fishermen, carpenters, blacksmiths, masons, you know, whatever. And in today's language, I would say <laughs> Jesus would have called like the pre 
uh, church-working Wayne, he would have called an insurance agent or a UPS driver, an Amazon person, or an oil gas person. You know, why? Because everybody can identify with them. And they have influence in their circle. So not some in high, pious positions that we can't even relate to. I guess my point is that Jesus called regular people to follow him and to continue to do their work, but also build the church through their community, like we're talking about circles. So I guess we would call this kind of a grassroots movement, and that's kind of how the church was built, right? Mm -hmm. uh, through these working people who had the good news of, of Christ uh, in present. And then I think the second way I would answer, and this is a lesson I learned when I had the company and I was trying to figure out the difference between my work at the office where I was crushing it and the chaos I felt at home where I wasn't really doing a great job. I wasn't leading well. Uh, I, I mean, I can, I can run the company and then I come home and my four kids are running me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I had that Popeye moment. I, I uh, had all I can have. I can't stand no more, you know, is what Popeye said. And so anyway, uh, I, I was thinking that Deuteronomy is probably a place that helped me as a dad and as a businessman understand what God was asking me to do, which kind of goes back to the first question you're asking me about, and that's, or maybe it was the second question about the compartmentalization. Mm -hmm. I was struggling to buffer between the two. And so Deuteronomy, uh, I think it's chapter 5, chapter 6, where the Lord is giving the Israelites kind of a how to process the laws, you know, at home and, uh, and help families learn what he understands, uh, help learn and understand what he had. He says in chapter 6, and I'm just paraphrasing Mace as we're talking along here, but he says, I'm giving you some commands, right? And you got to do something with them. You got to impress them on your kids. You got to help them know what, what they are. And he told them to, you know, um, tell their children about them when they're sitting at home, when they're walking along the road, and they're lying down, when they're getting up. And the point is, he was saying, you know, don't don't have to teach your children in school or send them to a Christian academy or, or quit your job. What he's really saying to the parents and, and what he's speaking to me was, as you're living your day-to-day -day sort of life, come home from work, as you're walking down the road, as you're driving in your car, live authentically as you can. And, and that's the good news for dad. It's, it's not an extra thing we have to do. It's, it's part of our everyday living. For example, you come home from work and you sit down at the dinner table and you say, hey, a guy came in the store today and one of the other employees was overcharging him for you know, something on their bill, kind of an unfair transaction. And I saw it and I jumped in and I charged the person to write him out. And you tell that to your kids so that they're looking at your life and you're giving a teaching example right then. And you say, oh, but I jumped in and I helped the person have the right uh, price. And then the person asks me, why did you treat me fairly when the other guy was going to do something wrong? And then you answer. It was, it's because God loves me and he loves you and he asked me to treat others fairly. And the next thing you know, they're asking the person well, what God do you believe in? Or what was your motive in that? And you have a chance to talk to your children about that. And then I realize, okay, I've just blended work life and home life together. And the common blender actually is faith. And so that's where I think the challenge is. And I think that's where I was able to find some wins after having a few losses, right? right. Uh, to actually understand the calling I've got in my life to live my faith 
uh, and how that's got to move along. So I think faith integrated in who we are as men in all of our roles is a way that was helpful for me uh, to move things along. Yeah, no, that that's really good. Uh, you know, I love the the Deuteronomy passage. That's actually, you know, when the the man approached Jesus and he said, you know, what is the what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him the you know the great commandment, right, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's quoting the Shema from Deuteronomy six, and so I love that you took us there, right? And it's talking about there's primarily talking about discipleship in the home. But I think the principle that I heard you pull out from there that then also applies to the work life is that it should be an all-of-life sort of thing. So when discipling my kids, should we have set-aside family devotional time? Should we be at church on Sunday morning? Yes. But even those things, while critical, are not the full equation, right? So, you know, and I'm, I'm learning this and, you know— falling forward on my own. Mm -hmm. But, you know, so for example, you know, what came to my mind was at least once a week in my family, we do a family movie night. Okay. And um, most movies, um, like most of life, you can pick out certain elements that are redemptive and that we can, we can uphold. And then there's certain things that from a Christian worldview, we have to say, you know, we have to kind of call this out for what it is, right? And so, you know, just last night, my my family and I were watching a movie, and when the movie got done, we we just had a brief discussion. Our kids are young, so it's not like this 30-minute, you know, long, but just maybe two minutes of like, hey, this was kind of the the message this movie was was talking about. We can uphold this. Now, you remember this thing when they said this? We know that, you know, this is the truth, and it's not that. And so just having those conversations, and my point is, I think it goes back to what you said earlier of, it should be the same way with our work life. How should our faith influence our work? Just live Christianly, be, live an authentic Christian life. And a lot of that is, um, my, another passage that my mind went to is the fruit of the Spirit, right? You said, uh, they will know us by our love, mm -hmm. right? So one of the ways that our, our faith should influence our work is the, the type of person that we are at work. It, you don't necessarily have to change your line of work, but your faith should be changing mm -hmm. the person that you are right. at work, right. right? Faith, love, hope, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, and all these, these character qualities that the Spirit is working in us at the inside out, from the inside out. So you, you say that you're doing that with your children I can remember a time when I was driving down 2920 and uh, going over the speed limit, and my son was learning to read, looking over my shoulder. He said, hey, Dad, that sign said 4-5, you know, and you're going 6-0. Right? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's right. But to be transparent enough to slow down and say you're right because God's Word tells us to obey the law of the land. We submit to our authorities. And, and the law of the land is to obey the speed limit because, and then you list the reasons why, under, help them understand the natural consequences of an accident or getting pulled over and having a speeding violation or whatever. Um, but that's just not something on my to-do list. It was just Deuteronomy 6. It was just walking along life and all of a sudden using even my failure as a teaching moment. Right, absolutely. Yeah, which is where you're using the case study of a movie concept 
to just bring that out for the kids. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's helpful. So tell us a little bit more about, um, you know, again, we've referenced several different Bible passages and biblical principles. Um, tell us a little bit more about what that that looked like for you, especially when you were in the marketplace before coming on staff at FaithBridge, how you tried to practically live an authentically Christian life at work. Well, for sure, I was trying to avoid the compartmentalization that you mentioned then. And honestly, I've learned so much in the last 20 years of that career and 10 of this career. I've actually called a few of my former employees back, and I've told them, hey, you know I loved you then. I love you even more now. And what we went through or what we accomplished together, whatever, I'm sorry. For what? I'm sorry that I wasn't a better leader for you because knowing what I know now, um, I think God had a greater calling in my life. I just didn't know it then. Mm. And I could have really led you better, encouraged you better. Uh, and I wasn't asking necessarily forgiveness because they thought I was the best boss they ever had, you know. But the reality is I found that there was untapped potential in people. And I was the unlocker, but I hadn't been equipped yet mm. to unlock it. So let me take us to something I'm seeing presently, if you follow much in corporate culture. Let me answer your question, bridge from my past to the present, just kind of what's happening in our world. And that is, um, Mace, I don't know if you read much about business stuff, but this investing and corporate culture has really changed maybe in the last three or four years. And the terms that most people would recognize as their... um, reading or thinking through is a term we call ESG. It's driving everything in corporate culture right now. It's a it's an acronym that means environmental social governance. These are the three acronyms along the way, kind of three categories or three buckets. And so for the environmental, you know what that means, like carbon footprint, energy efficiency, you know, how are we doing about sustainability, are we recycling, how are we impacting the environment as an organization? And then the S, the social, is how we handle our employees, um, our culture. Um, DEI is a big thing, right? Uh, Diversity, equality, inclusion. Um, And so how are we managing our employees, treating them well, frankly, um, treating them as we'd want to be treated, if you want to quote an adage, you know, uh, the golden rule, if you would. But we want to make sure we're doing a good job with our employees and our coworkers. And then finally, G, uh, ESG, environmental, social governance is the last one. And that's really talking about how the organization is managed in a responsible way with accountability. And, you know, churches far from excluded. Um, We'd be under the same category as any organization. But what that equates to is the culture and what we stand for and how you operate or how you're committed to do the right thing. And I think that ESG culture, if you're sensitive to it, you can really bring a moral or ethical code in. And I think God's written it for us. If we'll just apply that in our business workplace, the way we treat our employees, the way we take care of business, uh, it does a lot for our organization. And whatever role you're in, so long as it's possible, you actually get an opportunity to impact your circle by the way you conduct yourself, as you said a few moments ago. So here's why. People want to know the why behind certain things that you do. 
And when I, they ask about your actions or, you know, what was your motive behind that, what drives you to be and act the way you do, that's what we would call a testimony, right? Old-fashioned word, mm-hmm. but I can look at Mace Perez or Mace Perez could see Wayne Risher, and I can see a testimony there. It's sort of the story you're telling me by your actions. Mm-hmm. And when you lead like Jesus, right, who, who was a servant leader, um, we, we start advocating for others, and they'll inevitably look for our motive, and so if we're going to be men of faith and, um, and, and, and our motive is not for power or glory or, you know, ill-gotten gain or any of those kind of things, but because we're obeying God, then your life, uh, your faith, your business, your home life, it all starts to connect when your motive is trying to line up. And you used a word earlier, submission. When you're trying to submit to God, all of a sudden those folders that we keep closed from one area to another start to open up and run together in a good way. Not that we're missing boundaries because we're having our laptop open during dinner, right? But in a good way, we're, we're conducting our faith life and faithfully conducting our business and the way we have other relationships. So when people understand your motive, I think that's the greatest opportunity to share God's goodness with others. Um, because when they understand your motive is love, all of a sudden you realize, hmm, I have a personal ESG plan, right? Yeah. Um, the environment around me is better because of me. The social interactions I have better because of me. And the governance in my life uh, isn't necessarily the corporate governance, but it's the submission to God. Right. He's the governor of right. my life. He's a better God of me than I am. Right. <laughs> Even though sometimes I try to get it out of order and, and then I get it messed up. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of examples from my pre-church work life that that came to my mind as you were sharing that and I hope neither of these come across as tooting my my own horn uh, but one of the challenges that I repeatedly faced in the quote-unquote secular work world was how pervasive gossip was mm, right mm-hmm. how quickly um, conversations in the office would turn to just talking bad about other people and where I'm going with this is that okay I'm, I'm working in this, quote, secular work world. How should my faith influence my work? Um, you know, of course, my mind went to the obvious, like, being an evangelist, you know, for Christ. And, you know, I felt so much shame for a couple of years at how poorly I did at that, how cowardly I was about not sharing my faith. But one of the things that the Lord over time showed me was if you are truly living that authentic Christian life, if you're truly growing in, you know, your sanctification, the Lord is transforming you by the power of the Spirit, people will start to notice. So back to the gossip example, um, not that I was perfect at this by any means, but more often than not, I would just kind of be quiet in those moments. And I thought, and again, I'd be beating myself up. I'm like, man, should I be like trying to steer this conversation in another direction? But then, you know, I, eventually my coworkers would say, you know, things like, oh, Mason's going to be quiet now because, you know, we're talking bad about that. So and so it's like, huh, they are watching. Um, and so my point in saying that is just, again, living that authentically Christian life, that how should our faith influence our, our work? It should 
at least one major way is by influencing the type of person that you are. And then the other example that came to my mind, going back to the, you know, asking questions and then presenting an opportunity to share the hope that we have was um, one of my coworkers uh, was known for being, uh, let's say, blunt. Okay. And not having much of a filter, right? And so whenever they needed to send an email that they knew needed to be a little bit more tactful, they would ask me. They would say, you know, Mace, I, I need you to come read this because you're, you're so much, you know, better at this sort of thing than I am or you're so much nicer. And it created an opportunity for me to talk about, you know, well, all glory to God because that's purely the grace of God in my life because I can tell you, you know, you'd be shocked to know how I was before I knew Christ and the work that he has done uh, in my life, which is why, yes, I seek to be gentle with my words, why I seek to be tactful. So again, I think just the encouragement that I want to just keep hammering home to the men listening to this is Mm -hmm. how should your faith influence your work is by letting Christ transform your character. Amen. That's well said. Um, One thing that comes to my mind is I think about the average faith bridge um, man, you know, uh, there's a a tendency in our culture for men to turn work into an idol. And and often this can look like working, you know, 60, 70, 80 plus hours a week and neglecting their their families um, and their own personal spiritual development. I'm not necessarily accusing you of making work your idol back in the day, but uh, I mean, you talked about yourself, you were, you were winning at work and losing at home. And, uh, you know, a podcaster, author, leader that we both follow is Kerry Newhoff. And mm-hmm. one of his lines that has stuck with me um, for a while now is if you're winning at work and losing at home, you're losing. Mm-hmm. Right. And so knowing that that's a, a um, common temptation among men of faith bridge in our culture in our context what would you you say to the man listening to this who's who's going yep that's me well mace before i answer that you've triggered a thought can i answer something else that you didn't ask absolutely (laughs) the difference between living in your faith business and family circles is if one of those, as Carrie Newhoff, you quoted a second ago, if one of those is off, what happens is everything is off. In other words, my wife and I are added uh, at the house. We're just not getting along. Things are not well. I go to work. I'm less productive because in the back of my mind, I'm burning emotional energy fretting over that situation right. or a child situation. I know that I'm leaving to go to work and the wife is home to deal with a, a wayward child or s- something of that nature or or she's gone and I'm stuck at home uh, with the, the problem. Uh, nothing's right. Or you've you got some sin going on and you're in a, a mess. And uh, you, you got that happening. You can't focus on being a productive work person or a productive family person because your faith life is a wreck. And, uh, and then you put on different faces that are fake faces, and we wind up, again, being a hypocrite. We're not leading anybody effectively. Right. In fact, we sit at church or uh, in anything that causes separation between us and God because we, we know we're, we're experiencing shame. Like, ah, I think I'll play golf today instead of going to church. Why? Because you feel the separation. You don't want to go there and face what you know you're messing up. 
So it's interesting how those circles overlap. Yeah. All right. Now, let me get back to the question. Ask me one more time what it was about being an idol. So a common temptation for men in our culture, I think, is turning work into an idol. And the example I gave, you know, one potential clue is when the guy is working 60, 70, 80 plus hours a week and is neglecting those other two circles, neglecting Mm -hmm. his family, uh, neglecting his, his spiritual development. And so if a guy is feeling a little bit convicted of, yeah, I think I am probably making my work my God and, mm-hmm. instead of the Lord, um, is feeling a little bit of that conviction, just what words of encouragement or hmm. wisdom might you share with them? Well, that's no joke, is it? Um, I think the answer why is because we all want to have an identity somewhere, right? We're made for that. And God also designed us mace to worship. I believe. And so based on that, we're going to worship something. The question we have to ask is, what are we worshiping? And uh, we get that misplaced often because worship has to do with what we're placing worth in, right? The word worship, Mm -hmm. right? And so if I place worth in God, I'll worship Him. But if I place worth because I'm filled up in my passion or my ability or my my drive to succeed, I have an identity at work, I'll worship that by accident. I don't want to do that, but I do end up, I, I want to worship that sense of success, that identity that comes from work. So maybe when a guy's asked, you know, what you're all about, usually the first answer a guy will say is like, you know, I'm an engineer at Shell. Uh, I own my own company, I sell homes, whatever. He'll, he'll come up with something that he does. But people are usually answering that question more about what do we do than who we are. So I don't think it's the same thing. Our identity uh, needs to be in Christ. And when we're first followers of Christ who love and serve others, we're then whatever else trickles away from that, right? And that goes back to helping your first or second question about the compartmentalization. Right. When you have your identity in Christ first, you tend less to compartmentalize in an unhealthy way. So our jobs easily do become idols, I think, in the way men like to be validated. And the truth is, when we're God's first and an engineer or you know an oil and gas guy second or whatever it happens to be, that perspective kind of frees us. And the job can change, but our identity is still good. But when your identity is wrapped up in work and the job changes, we're shattered. And it's a bad place to be. If you've ever lost a job before, or maybe you're in transition right now. Um, If your identity was in your work and not in your uh, Christ-followingness, your Christianity, then it's tough. It's a tough place to be. So one of the best ways I've learned to de-idolize work, Mace, is through humility giving God glory, you know, for all that we have and all that we do, and by calling it what it is. It's, it's a job. It's not who I am. It's what I do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm a Christian, but I provide for my family as a financial advisor, right. right? And when I can say that in that way, I've done two things. One, I've let you know I've got a faith story, and uh, I've also let you know that I'm committed to provide for my family and that in itself is worth, hey, wow, you're pretty committed, right, to, to something. I think Tim Keller um, did a good teaching on this and reminds men that um, idols are often good things that we turn into bad things. 
And jobs are great. We've got to have them. Um, but idols are dangerous because they're not always clear, visible, evil enemies. You know, it's something that we're looking at. And they're things that hold us captive. And, um, and frankly, we enjoy them. We enjoy work. Work, Solomon said, should be good. Right. And you should find fulfillment and satisfaction in it. Thank God uh, for every job we, we have had. But to what purpose we use that job is the thing. If we start worshiping, that, that's a problem. Uh, and so anyway, I, I say that all to say that I think that work is dangerous when it starts to encroach on where we're, where we're called to be. It's, it's so insidious. We don't even see it coming. The good thing is kind of like um, I've got, you know, St. Augustine grass in my house. And St. Augustine is a good weed fighter because it naturally chokes out the weeds. Sometimes you have to spot treat a place. But boy, if you have some kind of other grasses, northern grasses, you can look at the beautiful lawn and you can see crabgrass, which frankly is the kind of grass we have in Texas, right? In their yard and people freak out about it. But um, it chokes it out. And uh, what happens is our job can choke out uh, what we see God doing in our lives. We focus on that, focus on the wrong thing. And since it's a, wor- uh, a source of satisfaction for us, it may be the right thing to do to, to work, right, and provide, and sure, that's good. But because it's something that pleases us, we take it to the nth degree. Right. And um, so how do we identify when, when work uh, starts fulfilling us and become an idol? Huh, that's a good question. I guess if... If um, our identity of work becomes our our source of esteem, I think when we perform well at work and lack praises from others, we start to make it an idol because we want to get, you know, attaboys. And uh, you want to get the report that comes out that shows you're in the top three for the month or you want to perform. And I think that esteem that comes from that becomes a facet of the idol that we make work out to be. I also think work becomes uh, worshiping the wrong thing when it's our source of pride and our self-confidence. It's one good thing to desire a good job, but entirely, you know, something else when you let your job be the means by which we convince ourselves that we have worth. So I, I worry about that. And when we view our contribution through our work as the reason we exist and the reason we have value, as Duffy was teaching us today, we missed the point of God's existence, and we have made work into an idol then. Right. Yeah. And so um, I guess another question I might say is, how do you know when uh, work has become the, the black hole that we wander through? You know, how have we gotten too far? Self-esteem, sure. Pride, sure. Um, satisfaction and materialism, sure. All those things. But we make it our idol. It can easily become a slippery slope. Um, and actually can head us down to other areas of sin. So in light of this, how we respond to work, in short, I think the gospel is really the answer if I'm going to bring it back. And and that is the only cure then for idol worship is to honor God um, and to make sure the message of the gospel is central to what and why we're doing what we're doing. I mentioned a few minutes ago motive. And the reason I do so well at work isn't because I'm trying to please you. I'm trying to say, God, I'm providing for my family and I'm giving you all of my gifts. Right. I'm worshiping you with my mind as an engineer or uh, my hands as a laborer. And as a result of that, God, will you bless it? 
And I think when I have that perspective, I don't get trapped in, in idolistic work. I get trapped in worship work. Right. I was, uh, the analogy that comes to my mind is I was teaching, I was uh, having lunch with a band director friend of mine the other day, and we were both talking about how over the course of our band directing careers, our, our mentality had shifted somewhat, that both of us uh, had gotten, gotten into it, and it was very much about feeding our own egos and this sort of thing. And the further we got into it, the more it really came about the students. And we both talked about this idea that even then, really, uh, we weren't first and foremost a band director or a music teacher. Our job was to develop young people. Hmm. Music was the vehicle we used to that end. That's really good. So in a similar way, you know, like you were talking about, when men are first meeting one another, it's, hey, what's your name? Next question, what do you do? Uh-huh. Uh, and really, like you said, when when I answer that question, it's often to see what I do as who I am. Uh, exactly. You know, I am an insurance salesman. I am an engineer. I am. And really what it should be is just like I'm, I'm not really a music teacher. I'm a developer of young people through music. It's I'm not an engineer. I'm not. Uh, you know, uh, a craftsman or whatever it is. I'm a follower of Jesus. One of the ways that I follow Jesus is through being an engineer mm-hmm. or through being a laborer or through mm-hmm. being a business owner. And I live my discipleship out through that. It's a way, like you said, it's a way of providing for my family. It's a way of stewarding my gifts. It's a way of loving other people uh, at the end of the, the day. And so my activity may not change, but it all comes down to my my motivation and where I'm rooting my identity. So, um, last question um, for for today. So, we've talked about how our faith should influence our our work in a multitude of ways, uh, not just this, but it should include seeing our our workplace as a mission field that our our mission at FaithBridge, our mission as disciples, is to make more and stronger disciples of Jesus Christ, who make more and stronger disciples of Jesus Christ. And so, um, you know, I can't help but think what could be possible if every man at FaithBridge truly embraced this idea that their workplace is a mission field. So um, to kind of wrap us up for today, what ideas or thoughts do you have around finding ways of evangelizing our non-believing coworkers? Okay. Well, uh, we've covered a lot of ground here, especially in the last few minutes or two. Let me give you a thought on this. Treasures of various kinds, not just money treasures, but other treasures too, things we store up or like to hang on to or like to focus on, like work, right? Something we worship. Are, Are never neutral forces. They always sort of hang on to us. And God tells us in, in Matthew 6, be careful what you do with your treasures, right? Um, if you store them up on earth, things can happen to them. You know, people can steal them and then you're in trouble. They rust or get destroyed. But he says, store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where the thieves do not break in. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. 
So I was thinking about that in the connection between our hearts and our treasures. And I was thinking that our hearts always follow our treasure. That's what the principle of the scripture is about. When he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So our heart follows our treasure. And so making our treasure uh, investment in the right place is the most important thing because our treasure impacts our relationship with God. If your hope is in money, your heart will be there, right? If your hope is in your job, you'll be struggling always to perform. What have you done for me lately, culture? It's exhausting. And if your place, um, uh, your hope in, in relationships, that's where your heart will be most engaged, is with therapy. If you're in your children, that's what you'll focus on. So the scripture tells us, though, seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these other things will be added to you. So in other words, it's okay to invest your hope and trust in the right place first, which is God, of course. But then it's okay to save in your 401k. Not feel guilty about that. Or invest in your relationships or take care of your business. As long as we've prioritized our hope investment first, we can go on and enjoy the other things. What value, the Scripture says, is placing your um, investment and gain everything worldly, but then lose your soul later. So make sure your investments are right. And so, Mace, I was thinking... When we treasure things, you know, some people, it's not treasuring money or power. You know what some people treasure up? Fear. They, they hold on to it. Doubt. They keep thinking about it. Worry. And surely that's an unhealthy treasure that we can have. So we don't want to prioritize that or hold on to that. And, and so the context um, is to base our investment of trust in Christ. And I, I believe... People listening to this podcast, at least I hope would have FaithBridge men, have made their place, their their hope in tr- Christ, their hope and trust in Christ. But if you haven't, you should, because mm-hmm. Christ is there to receive you, uh, to accept you, and, um, and, and that's the good news of the gospel. But in thinking about our treasures and evangelizing others, I think this is the devil's ultimate scheme. I think he wants to think our work. He wants us to think our work will make us happy. The stuff that we buy will, you know, make us feel secure and that the life is about our pleasure. And when all those things come together, all of a sudden we're valuing the wrong things. We place our hope investment in the wrong things. And I think the enemy's biggest Ponzi scheme is just to let us value the wrong stuff. And when we do, we start focusing on the present and it keeps us from focusing on the stuff of eternal things and placing our hope in Christ. And so that's where the trap is that so many of us get into. The reason I mention that to answer your question, Mace, is because if our priorities are upside down, it's really hard to evangelize your coworkers. How can you share the good news when you're not even experiencing the joy of it yourself, right? Right. So as I was thinking about that, I I might say that if you store up our treasures on earth um, and you start thinking about what am I going to invest in, get my priorities right first, and then... A devotional thought that's come to my mind recently is there are only really two things that we can transfer from time forward to heaven. Like all the things that we do here, the house that we buy, the cars that we drive, the money we save, the money we put in our investments and 401ks and whatnot. There's only really two things that you can send on ahead. And I know at Faith Bridge, we sometimes talk about that. And we say, you know, 
some things we're sending on ahead into heaven. And I know at a recent funeral that we had here at Faith Bridge, I heard spoken the words, we kind of live better here, having known this person, and in the future because they're already gone ahead of us. So in a way, we send loved ones ahead. Right. But really the only two things that go on ahead for us is our own spiritual maturity, how we've invested in our faith, how we've grown in our faith, right. how we've come to know the Lord and place our trust there. And the second thing is um, we can send it on ahead through somebody else and invest in them. And so how do we invest in others? Well, you could, I mean, it could be a financial investment, I suppose. You could finance a missionary or you who's going to be a church planter who could impact the many, right? We invest in you. We're going to ascend on ahead of us in heaven is the work that you'll do if we support you, right? Not plugging your your future <laughs> church planting, but it's an idea. Or a missionary. Maybe I can't go to Africa. I can't go to Europe. I can't go to all these other places. Maybe I'd like to go, but I can sure send somebody else to go and minister to those people. So my maturity and in whatever way I support the growth in somebody else, those are the two things we kind of send on from time to eternity, right? So... Any treasure I invest in for the expansion of the kingdom um, in my workplace, in my mission field, in my circles, it matters because every man of faith bridge needs to be focused on transferring their investments ahead of them, moving up forward. And that's the mission that you have, I think, repeated in this little interview probably three or four times. You've said making more and stronger disciples of Jesus Christ to make more and stronger, the ongoing action of that. And as I hear you say that, what do we do to evangelize others in the workplace? Really, it's your story. It's how you live out your right. life. And, um, and you've got to have your priorities in the right place. Because if others can't see how you've invested and what you're sending on ahead of you toward heaven, it's awful hard to invest in someone and say, I want to send you on ahead. Right. When clearly I'm not even doing what I need to do here. Yeah. You, you can't share what you don't have. Exactly. Right? And so I think that just comes back to another note that we've just been resounding throughout this, this conversation is that how should your faith influence your work? Well, it starts by prioritizing your faith and pursuing Jesus yourself wholeheartedly, mm -hmm. seeking to be transformed by the gospel. And then the overflow of that will include sharing him with others. Yeah. Mace, practical action step. What do I do? How do I de-idolize my, my work? How do I um, get engaged? You said surrender uh, about 15 minutes ago. How do I do that? You know, one of the great places you can do that is right inside your own home. Usually there's a, a wife or a, a spouse or a friend uh, in your circle. You can say, hey, where am I missing the mark? Just by asking the question, you're starting to open up. Right. Where am I missing the mark? Maybe you just ask it privately to God and say, where am I missing the mark? How have I turned work into my idol? How have I not had a testimony and I can turn my story around? That's the wonderful thing. Right. In God's economy, it's never too late. Right. He's always about not what happened yesterday, but what are you going to do with now right. and going forward? So we all have an opportunity to rise to the occasion. Absolutely. And you even mentioned yourself uh you know, repentance. I don't think you use that word, but this idea of when the Lord does reveal where mm -hmm. you've fallen short or when your wife does, owning that mm -hmm. and saying, I'm sorry, 
And maybe, yeah, someone's action step, maybe even their first step to getting to share the hope of Jesus Christ with a coworker is, is owning up to where they've, they've made mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, a friend of mine uh, who's the CEO of a company, he said, I want to live my, my faith out enough. He said, maybe I can't, as the CEO, be standing on the block uh, in the break room and telling everybody, you know, thus saith the Lord, right? But he said, I want to create a culture that when somebody has a crisis in my company, they would know to think of me to pray for them. Right. And if, if you were experiencing a, a problem at your work, think, who would I go to and say, hey, I need some wisdom for this, or I need a prayer? Would you know somebody? And if it were others, would it be you that they would think of? Yeah. And if not... I need to make a little change. Yeah. Well, what a great challenge to to end our time together on, Wayne. Thank you so much for, for being here and for sharing your wisdom and your thoughts and your experience with the men. And men, thank you for listening in to this podcast episode as we continue our summer FAQ series. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with others and rate and subscribe so more men um, can find the hope and the, the joy of following Jesus and learning what it looks like to follow Jesus in every area of our lives, including our our work lives. And as we continue our FAQ series, if you or someone you know has a question about life or faith or God or culture, go to faithbridge.org slash men and let us know your question. You can let us know your name or you can keep it anonymous if you prefer. And we will catch you next time on the Faithbridge Men podcast as we continue to tackle the real questions that real men are asking head on.